Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Amazing. Why don't you turn around and say hello to someone? Why don't you welcome them to church? Why don't you let them know that it is a good Sunday to be here? We're so glad that you could be with us. If you're streaming in online, a very warm welcome to you as well. I pray that God's been moving where you are. Maybe I know there's a few people who are isolating, some COVID going around in the community. Pray you're feeling better than you were. Amen. Hey, He is risen. He's risen indeed. Who loves a good Resurrection Sunday? It's good. If you can't get excited about Resurrection Sunday, uh, then, then maybe you don't quite understand Resurrection Sunday, yeah? Because uh, it's a special day. Uh, in fact, I hope, I hope today started well for you. I think um, w- whether you walk into the room today with, with an understanding and a belief in Jesus and in what Resurrection Sunday means for us, today could still have started pretty good, Yeah? Like it could have started chocolate for breakfast. I don't know if that's a a daily occurrence in your household. Maybe it shouldn't be, right? Just I'm not judging, but maybe some things are more special when they happen just once a year. Who had chocolate for breakfast a little bit? No, you're all like, no, we're adults, Jono. We've released the children. I didn't either, uh, but I did have coffee, which is, it's about this, you know, it's, it, I feel like coffee is, is my chocolate. Uh, but maybe it started with chocolate. Maybe it started with kids bouncing on the bed. Anyone get that? You're like, kids, we should have said that you get Easter eggs after church. They come in. They're like, Easter now, chocolate now. Let's start the day on a sugar high. Maybe, maybe it started with a lazy rollover. You're like, I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to do anything. Maybe it started early, really early, with the joy of getting to come and set all of this up for your church family. Can we have a hand for our packing team, right? Maybe, maybe it just started with the simple satisfaction that you don't have to go to work tomorrow. You're like, that just makes today a good day. Yeah, can I get an amen? It's good. I, I want to say that I, I believe that today is a good day, that that's central to our faith, central to who we are as a people of faith. Easter is good news, Not just because we have a a holiday weekend, but because it's a day that we get to, that we can choose to to reflect, to remember the fact that we are forgiven, that Jesus came to us. You know, chances are whether you've been uh, in church all of your life or or whether this is your first time in a a church building, you've, you've heard the Easter story before. Maybe not the details, maybe not the, the whole kind of thing, but you can say the general gist that, that God came in the person of Jesus to make right what was wrong in the world. That God came to us in, in the form of his son, Jesus, that the ultimate good would bridge the, the gap made by evil. You know, at, at the center of the gospel is a, a message of forgiveness, we, we read as Jesus is being crucified in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, in this moment, Jesus is speaking of the, the Roman soldiers who are nailing him to that cross. He's speaking of the, the very practical, physical, horrible act that he is in the middle of. But he's not just speaking of that moment. He's speaking of us, of you and me. As we go about our lives, as we make mistakes, as we, what the Bible calls sin, simply doing something other than the good that God made us for, as we choose ultimately to be our own gods, defining good and evil for ourselves, and in doing so, bringing evil into the world, sometimes on purpose, sometimes accidentally. 
that sometimes we don't know what we're doing as we destroy ourselves and others around us. Jesus says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They don't see the enormity of the brokenness of humanity. Forgive them because I love them. See, Jesus was speaking to the Roman soldiers as they were doing something horrible, but he was also speaking to us in our sin and in our shame as we bring evil and destruction into the world. See, Easter is good news because we are forgiven. My question today, this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday is how do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? Right, maybe you've, like I said, been in, in church a, a couple of times and you've heard some Resurrection Sunday sort of sermons, and, but, but how do we take this, this idea that we have? Maybe you, you even have a faith in Jesus. How do we take it from, from simply something that we understand, even believe to be true, to being something that we live in? How do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? Because even if you've been in plenty of Easter services before, or if this is your very first, I don't think that that we can leave the room today with just some nice ideas. I believe today we can leave with with freedom, with with a joy, with with an encouragement. We can live in the freedom of the cross. And so today I simply wanna look at this question. If we go to the next slide, how do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? And to answer that, I think we need to look at our feeling of guilt, God's dealing with guilt, and ultimately how God heals our guilt. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for this Resurrection Sunday as we come together as your people. God, we thank you that, that the tomb is empty, that you defeated death, that, that the worst thing is never the worst thing because of who you are. God, I pray today as we reflect on that, that it wouldn't just be an idea, but, but that we would step into living in the forgiveness that you have for us living in the freedom that you have for us, that that the fact that you love us would not just be an idea, but that today it would become more of an experienced reality, that we would be assured that you are for us, that you love us, that you came for us, that we can live life with you today. God, I pray that today it's not my ideas, it's not my words, but that you would speak, that you would have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it might seem like a, a, a weird place to start a Resurrection Sunday sort of sermon, right? Like, hey, don't you feel guilty? Like, Jono, if there's one day in the Christian calendar that I don't get to feel guilty, I feel like today should be that day, right? Like Christmas and Easter, there are holidays, they're the days that we have fun. You're not allowed to preach on things like guilt. It's just, it's not fair, it's mean, right? You're cheating. I apologize, but now we're here, let's preach on guilt, right? See, you might be, Jono, you know, this, this, the feeling of guilt. I don't really think that I, I feel guilty. I'm sitting here today, I'm feeling pretty good. I've got some hot cross buns in my tummy. Don't have to go to work tomorrow. There's chocolate either already in me or soon will be. I'm feeling good about life. Right, Jono, you fixed the coffee machine in the week. There's free coffee after church. I'm feeling good. It was Matt too. Matt did the harder work, right? I I don't know if I'm your target audience today. Like I'm not feeling guilty. I I, want to acknowledge, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I I don't necessarily disagree. I I think you're fantastic. But I want to say we all have problems. And I want to say, if you actually look at the problems in your life, if you consider them as maybe rocks and you pulled up the problem rocks in your life, underneath those problem rocks, you'd see little guilt worms squirming about. 
We've been doing some of that with, we've got Ollie and Harriet five and three, and so we're enjoying finding what is under things at the moment, right? So they're lifting up rocks, they're lifting up pavers, and the things that are under things are incredible, right? You like, you lift up a, a rock and there's a whole little world under there. You feel a little bit bad for, for disturbing it, and then your five-year-old starts smushing them, and you're like, I guess we are the bad guys in this story. That's cool. Pixar will talk about us one day, right? I am ant bully. Uh, and, and so... But, but if you pull up the, the problems in your life, underneath those problems are these little guilt words. If you look under your anxieties, what you're really anxious about, if you look under your anger or, or under your, your bitterness, we don't necessarily feel overwhelming guilt in our day-to-day lives, but if we look under a lot of our problems, there's a little guilt worm that says something like, I'm, I'm horrible, I'm unlovable, I'm, I'm my mistakes, I'm a mess. See, I wanna to suggest today that we actually feel guilt so deeply so intensely that, that we push it down. And it bubbles over in moments when, when something goes wrong, that voice that says, I'm useless, that guilt that bubbles up as, as shame. You know, in psychology, there's this idea of secondary emotions. We've all experienced secondary emotions. Secondary emotions are when you get a fright, but you don't feel frightened, you feel angry. Anyone ever had that? Like you're, you know, you're walking around a corner and someone boos at you and, and rather than be like, ah, you're like, I'm going to kill you. Like I'm angry in this moment. You felt frightened, but you went through fear into anger. The initial emotion, the primary emotion you felt was fear, but the secondary emotion that you're actually feeling is anger. You're not actually angry, you're frightened, but you went through fear into anger. Anger is the secondary emotion. For a lot of us, we don't feel guilty. But it's actually the primary emotion. Deep down, you you feel that you're not good enough, that you're a mess, that you're unlovable. And the secondary emotions that cover that, you you feel anxious or or you feel angry or you you feel overly sensitive. But the the feeling, the primary emotion is guilt. See, I, I think this is true because I've talked to plenty of people who don't believe in God. They don't believe in in sin. They don't believe in kind of an objective evil. They're living by their own definition of right and wrong, and yet they wake up every morning feeling ashamed. They they have this voice inside their head that, that calls them a coward, that calls them useless, that calls them bad, that calls them evil. They feel guilty. And yet if you look at their life, technically they shouldn't. They're not living by any sort of moral system that says, hey, you're doing wrong things. There's, there's no big things in their life that say, hey, I'm bad about this. They're, they're making mistakes, but everyone makes mistakes. There should be no reason to feel guilty, and yet they are. They're living in this place of, of guilt. And we could say, oh, it's just it's a societal construct or, or something similar, and yet it's present in every culture throughout history. It seems baked into the very nature of, of who we are as a people, a knowledge that, that there is good, and I miss the mark. See, I want to start by suggesting all of us struggle with guilt. The feeling of guilt is just a part of the human condition. We need to accept that as it is. That's the way that it happens. So if that's the feeling of guilt, then what happens? See, that's what today is all about. God's dealing with guilt. See, the the theologian John Stott, he uh, sums up our faith in in this following quote. It's it's amazing. He says this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. There's more to it. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to unpack it because I understand he's he's writing for trueness, not necessarily accessibility, right? So what what does this mean? The essence of sin is our choice to be our own God. 
to break that down further, it's, it's our choice to define good and evil ourselves. What is right and what is wrong, I get to choose. And, and in doing so, we create evil. Sometimes we do it intentionally, sometimes we do it accidentally, but it's us substituting ourselves for God. There is a throne in our life for whoever is God, and we say, I think I'm gonna sit on that seat. Looks pretty comfy. I think I'm gonna do a pretty good job. And so we do that and we break things, whether we mean to or not, because we cannot bear the weight of Godhood. And so God's solution to that is he defeats evil and he defeats evil by doing the opposite. Rather than coming and pushing us off the throne and saying, this is my seat, he steps off of his own throne. He gives up his own authority. As, as Stott continues to say, man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be, that throne. And God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. That he would come and die for us, that he would atone for our sins, that he would come and, and absorb the penalty, the weight, the ramifications of our evil. See, this Easter, got that we celebrate that God would come in the person of Jesus to atone, that, the good, that, that, that God took the evil that we created and he made right what we made wrong. This is what Paul's talking about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or, or in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, that Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. We see it again in, in Romans chapter five, verses six to eight. This is Paul's kind of thesis. You see it the just the right time. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is what we celebrate today, that Jesus would come to die the death that we deserve, not just in a moment, but the death being the, the, the end result of sin and evil, that he would take that upon himself, but that it did not defeat him, that he did not stay in the grave in which we were meant to be, but that the grave is empty, that he defeated death, that he defeated sin, that he defeated evil, and that's how God deals with guilt. Because every person has, has something in them that feels guilty because we are all guilty. See, guilt is more than just a feeling. When I say that, I, I don't mean that it's not a feeling, right? Guilt is a feeling and more, not, not a feeling. Does that make sense? Right, so guilt is not just a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It's an objective reality. We are sinners, we choose to be our own gods. There is something in us that is innately broken that is, is being made right, but until it is made right, we continue to destroy God's good will. We continue to make wrong what God has intended to be right, and so God's solution is an action to make right what is wrong. It's the best I can do for you in kind of 10, 15, it was almost 20 minutes, longer than I meant to, but to set the scene of what is Easter, what are we celebrating today? And so to say that, if guilt is dealt with as we celebrate this Easter morning, the question I want to come back to is, why do we still feel guilty? Right? How do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? If today is a day to celebrate, 
If today is a day to feel good, if today is a day to say, hey, the tomb is empty, we follow a risen, triumphant, victorious Savior, why when things go wrong is there still that little voice in your head that says, see, you are broken and useless and unlovable. When we know we can point to the finished work of Jesus, we can point to, to Jesus in relationship with us and say, no, no, I know who, who he is. Why do we still, if sin is dealt with, how do we live in a fallen world? Like I said at the start, my question today is how do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? Not, not just know about it, but live in it. How do we heal from guilt? Let's circle back around to our feelings because guilt is more than our feelings, but that means feelings and more, right? Not, not not feelings. We can be free from guilt because Jesus came to set us free from sin and shame, but, but he set us free, but he didn't come to set us free so that we could stay in a prison cell with an open door. Right, in prison, technically free, but behaving as if we're still imprisoned. Technically, we have all of the opportunity to live a life of freedom, to walk out of that cell, but we stay in the same place, functionally just as imprisoned as we were beforehand. So what do we actually do? What can we do with what God has done in our hearts so that we are healed from guilt? Two things I think this, this Easter Sunday that hopefully you will leave today walking in more of the freedom that God has for us, right? I'm not saying these are quick fixes. There's no kind of uh, magic tricks here. There's no instant bullets. I'm sorry. That's not the way that our faith works, but things that we can walk in to continue to, to walk into the freedom that God has for us, to celebrate the freedom of the cross. Two things, and we'll start with the hardest, because who likes to get the hardest out of the way first? I do, and I'm preaching, so finishing on the hardest is hard. You guys all look at me like this. Right? So we do the hardest, and you're like, that was hard, and then we move into the easier one, which it just feels better for me. So, right? so number one, if you're taking notes, is you are healed. If we're talking about the healing of our guilt, you are healed to the extent that you can forgive others, which sucks. <laughs> but, but in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a very confronting story about a servant who owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. And, and the servant, he, he begs for lenience from the king. The king's gonna sell him to, to recover the debts and he begs for lenience. And so the king, he takes pity on him, cancels the debt and lets him go. And so this free servant, this, this forgiven servant then goes straight to a fellow servant who owes him 10 bags of silver, 100 silver coins. And, and he goes to him, you need to pay me what you owe me right now. And he's like, please, just give me some time. Give me some time to, to, to work out a way to do this. And he says, no. And he starts to beat this man and has him thrown in jail until he can repay the debt. The king hears about this and he's rightly like upset and confused. I just forgave you a huge amount. And, and, and here you are going and, and kind of putting the screws to this guy who, who owes you comparatively nothing. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And so he takes this servant who was forgiven, who had his debts uh, canceled, and he, he throws him in jail until he can pay off his debts. And, and Jesus finishes this story by saying that's what happens to us when we refuse to forgive. Like I said, Happy Easter, right? Like Resurrection Sunday, that's awesome. You are forgiven, but also if you don't forgive others, then you kind of block forgiveness in your own life. How do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? Well, maybe it's less about asking Jesus to do more. He's done a lot. And maybe it's about what we do with that forgiveness. How do we live in that forgiveness? Yeah, the reason I think this is so important is that so often we're the ones holding ourselves captive. 
We've been forgiven. We, we can live in the reality of the cross, but it's our inability to forgive others that is keeping us from that freedom. If you believe the gospel and hold a grudge, at the very least, it shows that you are blocking the actual effect of the gospel in your life. One of my favorite writers, Frederick Buchner, he has this incredible quote, this amazing way of putting it. He says this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. It's debatable, right? We could go through them, we can rate, which one do you find the most fun? We'll do that later, right? But of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. To lick your wounds, to, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of the pain you're giving back to them in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down at this feast is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Anne Lamott says it much more succinctly, but I think in a less fun way. She says this, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. How do we live? How do we embrace forgiveness? This, this Easter, how do we enter into the way of Jesus and partner with him in forgiveness? If Jesus has forgiven us, how do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? You know, in the way that only Jesus can, when he tells the story in Matthew 18, I think he gives us three parts to forgiveness and reconciliation that we can take and apply in our own lives. He says that the king took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Look at these briefly. The king took pity on him, right? Pity can have the implication of, of like condescension. You're like, nah, poor you. Ah, ah, this person hurt me, but look at them. They're just a broken, horrible person, right? I would just feel so bad if I was as bad as them, right? Like, bless your heart. That's not what this means, right? That's not what pity meant when, when this was written. That's more of a modern reading of this. That's not what this meant. A more helpful way of viewing this would be it means to have your heart go out to them. You see the person who has hurt you as a person, to, to have pity on someone who has wronged you means you deliberately do the internal work of reminding yourself of how much that you have in common with this person. You put them, you put yourself in their place. And, and this is not the sort of thing that your heart really wants to do. When we're hurt, what our heart wants to do is it wants to accentuate the differences between you and the person who hurt you, between you and the person who, who wronged you. We stay bitter by, by creating a, a caricature of someone, by creating like a, a cartoon of them. It's, it's one-dimensional. It's a distorted view of a person. That's how we stay angry. To, to use that example of a cartoon, like have you ever had a cartoon drawn of you? Like even if the cartoonist is a nice person, which usually they're not, let's just be honest, right? I don't wanna offend any cartoonists in the room. You guys are mean, right? There's people on the street and they're like, I'll draw you and you sit down and you're like, yeah, I'd love to have a drawing done of me and they draw you and if your ears are a little bit big, what do they do? They make them bigger, right? If your nose is a little, they make it bigger. If you've got a little bit of red cheeks, they are redder. Whatever is a, a feature and usually they just have a special skill at finding their insecurity in you. And they're like, I will accentuate this. This is now your personality. But they take these aspects of you and they, they make them bigger. They accentuate you, even when they're trying to be nice, which, like I said, I haven't encountered any who are trying to be nice. But I'm forgiving, right? My heart is going out to them, putting myself in their place. If I could draw, anyway. That's what you do in order to stay angry at someone, isn't it? Let's use another example. If someone has, has lied to you and you are mad at them and someone says, why are you mad at this person? What do you say? You say, because they're a liar. 
right? Not they have lied, not they told a lie. They are a liar. This is their personality. This is the defining feature of who they are. You, you make a cartoon of them. They are a liar. This is their essence. This is who they are. And then if you were to happen to tell a lie, somebody says, what happened? You don't say, well, I'm a liar. You say, well, I told a lie. Like I made a mistake. There were, there were extenuating circumstances and this was going on and this was going on. I just told a lie once. I just made one small mistake. See, I think we tend to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Having pity on someone is judging others by what you perceive might have been their intentions. It is believing the best. Hey, I saw that they did this, but, but maybe they didn't mean to lie in this way. Or maybe it was just a mistake because I lie sometimes. Maybe this person isn't a liar. Maybe they just made a mistake. When we have pity, our hearts go out to someone. We choose to see them as a person, not a caricature or a cartoon. And very practically, a great way to do this, to send your heart out to someone, is to pray for them. I want to acknowledge that the prayers might start cold, right? You're angry at someone. God, do something. Sometimes that something doesn't necessarily have like a great intent to it either, right? Like you're like, God, do something, right? Like you do whatever you want, God, but if it was me, I would make a bird poo on them today just to remind them that they're a bad person, to draw them into repentance. (laughs) God, do something. But as you start to pray, as you start to intentionally send your heart out to them, God, do something might turn into God, just do something, which might turn into God, do do something to let them know that (sighs) I don't love them, but you do. (laughs) To God, let them know that that you love them. To God, maybe, would you, would you bless them? God, would you, God, they're a person like me. God, you love them and, and they've wronged me, but they are not the wrong that they've done. As you pray, you send your heart out. You can't pray for someone and stay mad at them. Right, you, you, you go against that work of creating a caricature of them. So first of all, the king pitied. The king sent his heart out. The second thing that he did is he canceled the debt, which seems nice, doesn't it? Like anyone got any loans? You're like, yes, canceling debt. Let's bring that back into society. Seven year of Jubilee, cancel my mortgage. I am for that. That sounds like a great thing to do, right? Let's do that. Equipers land, no mortgages. I don't know how we'll buy the houses, but we'll figure it out later. Just to be clear, we're not starting a Quipper's Land, just to come back to that. <laughs> but, but think of this logistically, right? The king canceled the debt. What does that actually mean? This, this man owed a lot of money. Scholars suggest that, that in a minimum, the amount that the man owed the king was the equivalent of a lifetime's wages. It, it's, the, it's the modern equivalent of what would be millions, perhaps billions of dollars. It's a lot of money. That's the, the point of the story is that the man owed a ridiculous amount. And so what does it mean to cancel this debt? Well, it means to the king had to absorb the costs. If you cancel a debt, what is owed doesn't just go away. It doesn't just reappear in your bank account like I forgive you and now it's magically back. If you cancel the debt, the king essentially paid it himself. That's what forgiveness is and that's why it's hard. Because something isn't right, something is out of balance and you bring it into balance at your detriment. It has to cost someone, and and forgiveness is acknowledging someone pays and choosing to be that person. And and it hurts, right? Not just in that moment, but but living in it. Even once you've done the forgiveness, if there's some sort of act of restitution and you've canceled that debt, even if it's a practical debt, then when you want to think bad thoughts about that person and you stop, that hurts. Those bad thoughts make you feel good about yourself. 
You have to stop them. Or, or when someone asks you, hey, what's going on? You have the chance to tell the story, to, to justify what happened. You know, you're going to come out looking good in the story. You're gonna, people are going to be like, wow, you're such a forgiving, amazing person. You're so, you're so just, man, long-suffering and just Jesus all over you. And you t- choose not to tell that story? She said, hey, there's just some stuff, but we've looked through it and it's fine. You don't give the juicy details. You don't pull it back. You don't uncover it again. That, that hurts your suffering. You're paying the debt instead of making them pay the debt. So number one, our, our hearts go out, we pity. Number two, we cancel a debt. If there is something to be paid, we choose, hey, I'm gonna be the one who pays. And then finally, you let them go. And, and here's what's really interesting because uh, I'll come back to the, 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 the king lets him go. Now, the man has lost all of this money, and you do that in one of two ways. You either do that through just amazing mismanagement, just really unwise, unfortunate decisions, or you're corrupt. Two ways, mistakes, mismanagement, unwise decisions, or just you're a bad person. You didn't make mistakes. You chose to willfully do this. You are corrupt. You stole this money. And essentially what the king does is his heart goes out to him. He chooses to believe the best. Hey, it's one of these two. It's either a mistake or corruption. And he chooses to believe it's a mistake. And so he lets him go. He chooses the, to believe the, the best. He cancels the debt. And then the forgiven servant is very conveniently just goes out and immediately shows his heart. He goes out and he immediately starts to abuse someone else. The forgiven isn't forgiving. And the king quickly realizes, hey, this wasn't mismanagement. This is not the sort of behavior of an innocent man. This is a a trajectory that this man has been on for a long time. You don't get forgiven if you're innocent and then go out and abuse someone who owes you next to nothing. You are grateful that your mistake was forgiven. This man reveals, as the king says, that he is a wicked servant. That this wasn't mismanagement, this was corruption. See, and and here's why this matters. If, If you forgive someone, for for something that they've done wrong to you or someone else, sometimes the thought will occur that they can't keep getting away with this. Like when someone has done something legitimately wrong, they cannot keep getting away with this. They've hurt me, they've hurt this person. It's not loving to, to empower or to enable an evil, destructive behavior that is hurting other people. And so as a result, sometimes we end up in this place of, I can't forgive this person because I have to seek justice. I have to make this right. I have to bring right what is, what is wrong in the world. But the problem is, is that when you go having not forgiven and pursue justice, you'll find that though you might say, I'm doing it for, for other people's sake so that no one else gets hurt by this person, or, or I'm doing it for their sake, you know, it hurts them when they're hurting other people, or I'm just, I'm doing it for God's sake. God doesn't want people hurting people, right? Like I am Bible man. I'm an avenger of the Lord. No one watched Bible man growing up. That's cool. I had a poster on my wall because I uh, grew up in a pastor's house. Uh, but no matter how you might go about trying to do it, how you might go about pursuing justice, if you haven't forgiven them, you're not, you're not pursuing justice, you're actually just trying to make them hurt. You, you might say that you're seeking justice, but you're actually seeking vengeance. Because unless you forgive before you pursue justice, you'll never really pursue justice, you'll just be pursuing vengeance. See, the king lets them go because you have to let them go or else you end up in the same cycle. The oppressed becomes the oppressor. The hurt becomes the person who hurts someone else. And there is space for justice, but it has to be justice and not vengeance. And I think the only way that that can happen is if we forgive first. 
or else it's Buchner's feast, right? It's this anger that, that we think that we're getting what we wanted. We think that we're eating our fill, but, but it's vengeance and we realize we only ate ourselves. We might have hurt the person, but we haven't built any reconciliation. We haven't done anything good for them and we haven't actually done anything good for ourselves either. We thought that we got what we wanted, but we didn't get justice, we got vengeance and all it did was, was eat of ourselves. See, the king pitied him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. Now, I want to acknowledge that's a fantastic theology of forgiveness. Just amazing, right? Just really great, compelling. I know, I can see it in your faces. What is not is at all easy to do, <laughs> at all practical to walk out, right? Like we'll try and I think it's a good thing to aim for, but, but if we just put our nose to the grindstone and say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pity people who hurt me because that's definitely something that my heart innately wants to do and isn't really hard at all. And, and I'm gonna cancel the debts and that's fine. I, I don't mind that at all. That doesn't hurt me even more and make me feel more bitter towards the person and let them go. Yep, easy as you said, Jono, just gonna let them go and then I'll get justice later. That's very clean and tidy totally makes sense. I want to acknowledge that, that this is a great theology, but it's very hard to apply. That, that we can do our best, but it's a tall order, which is why we also need to realize, as I get the band up, I'm almost done. The reason that we can celebrate today is because we, we are forgiven to the extent that we can forgive others, but that we're also healed to the degree that we realize our need. My favorite thing about Easter is that it reminds us we're never on our own that we never have to do any of this on our own or in our own strength. That Jesus came to make a way that we could be in relationship with him. That we could live lives attempting to forgive others, doing the best with what we have in his grace and his mercy. That he meets us in that, that he does the things that we cannot do, that he empowers our efforts. See, Tim Keller puts it this way. You're healed of your guilt to the degree that you grasp the magnitude of your sin. See, a day like today when we reflect on what Jesus has done empowers us to forgive others because we realize how much we've been forgiven. We see ourselves differently. We see Jesus is drawing close to us and so we can ask him for his help and all the things that we attempt to do. So this is the very opposite of what we might say is the modern popular opinion. We would say the way that you deal with your, your guilt, with your shame is you minimize your sin. The way you deal with your guilt is you stop thinking about your sin. You're, you're, you decide that you're not a sinner. You're not so bad. You shove it down to the point where it becomes a complex and bubbles up in those secondary emotions. Christianity would say that it's the other way around entirely. That you will only be healed of your guilt to the degree that you're willing to admit the magnitude of your sin. Again, Romans chapter five, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love for us can be seen most clearly through our sin. And can I be so bold as to suggest today that, that when we reflect on Jesus and what he did, if, if that doesn't move us, if that doesn't land in your heart in some sort of way, causing something to rise up in you, maybe it's a, a, an emotional, God, I'm so grateful. Maybe it's a weeping. Maybe it's, it's something of a thrill and a, God, I'm just so confident and bold because I see myself how you see me. If, if the resurrection doesn't land in our hearts in some sort of an emotional response, probably what's going on is that you don't really know you're a sinner. Maybe intellectually, 
maybe conceptually, but it hasn't landed in your heart. You, you still feel guilty. You still suffer guilt. You haven't followed that to its root. And so there's no joy in your freedom. You're sitting in the prison cell door open and not realizing it's a cell. Imprisoned through your own choices. Let me show you an illustration. I'm almost done. Luke 7, Jesus is having a conversation with Simon the Pharisee. And Simon liked Jesus. He was interested in his teaching, so he invited him to his home for a meal. But, but Simon cannot understand why Jesus is associating with people of disrepute, whilst Jesus is associating with sinners. And so Jesus explains it to him with a story. He says in Luke 7, 41 to 43, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. He's basically saying, Simon, you like me. You like me, but, but those who realize how much they need me, those who you think of as sinners, a people of disrepute, they love me because they realize how much they needed me. Simon, you think that I'm a, a nice addendum to your life. A happy little thing to have an addition, but, but these others, they realize that I am life. That they were dead in their shame and their iniquity, but that I came and I restored something. See, our response can be, oh, it's not, it's not healthy to focus on our sin. And I want to acknowledge there's a balance. Right? We want to bring glory to our Savior, not the things that we have done wrong, but we do not ignore our need for a Savior or else we don't realize what we've been saved from. See, imagine this one more example and then I'm done. Imagine that you're about to lose your home because you're behind on your mortgage repayments. Or you've been missing them for, for a while now and you owe the bank, I don't know, $100,000. Not just the mortgage, but of outstanding payments on it. And, and as a result, the bank is about to repossess your house. And a friend comes to you and gives you a check for that outstanding amount of the mortgage repayments, $100,000. Do you look at the check and say, I, I just can't look at this? Like, this, this reminds me of my mistakes and my failures and my pain and the problems that I have. I, I hate this check. No, it's a beautiful thing. Right? It's, it's deliverance from a horrible situation. It's, it's freedom. That number, 100,000, it used to keep you up at night. When you thought of it, your, your blood ran cold. But now in one beautiful act of love, that number is transformed. It's a source of wonder and joy. See, that's why Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. The inverse, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. So when you look your brokenness dead in the face and say, that's not what defines me anymore. I'm free from it and I'm loved in it. When you, when you realize your need, you embrace your healing. And in doing so, it empowers you to forgive others. It's not saying we need to go out and make a bunch of mistakes so God can love us more. We've done enough. We are all broken. Whether you see your brokenness as a lot or a little, it's too much for a perfect God. And yet Jesus would come to bridge the gap between us, to say, I take the weight of your sin and shame. I take the evil in the world and I make a way where there was no way. When we see Jesus, when we see who he is and what he's done, we have the opportunity to be the good version of the forgiven servant to go out into the world and, and to be forgiven much and in turn to forgive much, 
to allow forgiveness, to allow the gospel, to allow love to flow through us. When we realize how Jesus canceled our debt, how he identified with us, how he paid the price. When you see that, when you realize that, I believe it changes you. How do we live in the forgiveness of the cross? We live lives of forgiveness, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. And we live lives of wonder, remembering Easter, remembering the incredible price that was paid for our forgiveness. We we let the words of Jesus echo over us. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Church, why don't you stand to your feet with me? His head's about, his, his eyes are closed. I'm gonna finish with a prayer in a moment. The band's gonna lead us in a song. The song is there as an opportunity. Maybe you walked in today and, and you had a concept of Easter, a concept of forgiveness, a concept of love. This is your opportunity to take that from an idea and step into living in it. What does it look like for you today to wonder at the forgiveness of Christ? Say, God, thank you that you love me, that you came for me. And in doing so, what does it look like to look at your life? The people who have hurt you, the unforgiveness you might hold, maybe it might even feel rightly. You can say, Jesus, if you could forgive me for what I've done, I can forgive them. It doesn't make it right. I don't excuse it. But I'm choosing not to feast on myself. I'm choosing not to drink poison and hope that it hurts someone else. I recognize that the only good thing I can do with this hurt is give it to you. To ask that you would help me to take pity, to cancel that debt, to let them go. His head's about, his eyes are closed. God, we thank you this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, that you defeated death, that you defeated our sin, that you defeated our shame, you defeated our guilt. God, that in you we are made new. That in you we are the righteousness of Christ. Not because of anything that we do, not because of any way in which we behave or might convince you to come, but that you would come to us while we were still sinners. That you would take the weight of sin and evil. That you would forgive us. God, today help us to live in the forgiveness of the cross that it would not just be an idea or a concept, but that today we would leave freer than we walked in, that you would deal with our guilt, that you would deal with our shame, that you would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.